Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRNAM for Friday, August 25th, 2023. At our top story today, helping high schoolers enroll in dual enrollment classes. And joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Paul Perot is with the Helios Education Foundation. Paul, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Thank you, Jeff. Good to be here. Yeah, and I love talking about education. We do a lot on this program talking about financial literacy and other aspects of education. Today, we're going to talk about dual enrollment. And I just want to establish for my purposes and for the audience, what are we talking about when we talk about dual enrollment? Sure. Well, dual enrollment is uh, uh, an advanced course where you can take it in high school. And it's it's one of a number of courses that allow you to do this, but really give you an opportunity to take college level courses in high school where you get college credit and high school credit at the same time. And so um, by doing that, you know, especially if you're, um, you know, getting ready to go to college, you're a, you're a sophomore, junior, senior, you can get a number of credits and start, you know, your, your degree with a, a bank of credits already. And so it's a way to take advanced courses, get college credit while you're in high school as well. And, and I would theoretically get out of college sooner. Um, so the expediency of getting into the workforce and concentrating your education. And you're in Arizona. We're going to talk a lot about the Arizona program today, but does this type of program exist in the rest of the 49 states? Yes. Dual enrollment, really, you will see it around the, the rest of the country. Uh, there's different places, different policies that they they have it. Some some states, for example, uh, fund all of dual enrollment. Uh, sometimes uh, districts have to pay for it. Sometimes the individual family or student. And so while there might be different policies and practices around dual enrollment around the country, it exists in, in all 50 states. And, and in terms of getting the college credit, are, the, are there certain colleges... Uh, that are affiliated with the local school programs. Like, for example, um, you know, in, in Arizona, is it like an ASU? Are there certain schools within Arizona that have to be affiliated? And how do you find out who is affiliated with these dual enrollment programs? Yeah, typically a very strong affiliation with the community colleges, but also there is affiliation. Most universities are accepting dual enrollment uh, credits as well. Um, and really the best place to start is your guidance counselor at your school um, or the local community college, call them. Um, those are going to be the best places for families and students to start thinking about how do I get access to one of these courses. And, and in terms of utilization, and I apologize, I want to talk about Arizona in a second, but in terms of utilization, when you look at the cross-section of Americana, is everyone, one, getting access to it and are they taking it, you know, different population groups taking advantage of this because it would seem to me as if I had a kid, I'd, I'd want them to think about this uh, because of the expediency of of getting through college and getting a, a really good education and getting that credit. But are, is everyone in the population able to take advantage? Right now, we're seeing gaps. And so one of the things that we would like to see, for example, is more opportunities or more low-income students taking it. You know, really, this does help you financially. If you go to college and let's just say you're going for a, a university, which requires typically 120 credit hours, and you have 15 to 20 credit hours already, that's really great, especially for low-income students. So we're seeing gaps between low-income and not low-income students. And we judge that by free and reduced lunch status. 
We're also seeing equity equity gaps when we look at uh, differences with black or Hispanic students actually taking those classes a little bit lower than um, whites and Asian students. And so um, we see that trend closing more and more students and, and the gap is narrowing, but um, we really wanna make sure that those opportunities are there for all students. Now, there are some issues that that create a problem. I mean, uh, you have to have a teacher that is um, certified. Usually they have a master's degree. They've gone through some additional training to teach one of these courses. And so in more rural places, it can be harder to take a, have dual enrollment teachers or dual enrollment courses. Um, even in you know some more low poverty schools, again, where we might not see as highly qualified teachers because you know um, we might see little pockets where there's not as many of those courses offered. And so that's why we see more of a trend where there's kind of a distance learning courses that are dual enrollment. So you might it might be offered from one district or somewhere else in the state, but other kids in those schools can take those as well. And, and, and one last question before we go to a commercial break. I want to talk about the Arizona experience. And, and the reason why I reach out is Arizona just allocated $15 million to helping high schoolers. You talked about the payment could be at the district level. The payment could be, I guess, out of pocket for families. This kind of helps bridge the gap. Is that enough? $15 million sounds like a lot of money to me, but you know, I have no concept of what the budget looks like. Is that enough money to bridge the gap to help those groups in Arizona that you mentioned that maybe are underserved? I think great question. I, I think it's a great start. Um, let's see what the how this helps and how it closes the number. If we start getting every student to take dual enrollment courses, then it won't be enough down the road. But right now, this is going to be a great start to motivate more districts and schools to, to help push kids to take those courses and for more, uh, more students and kids and families to take those courses. Well, Paul, as I said, I need to take a very quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about dual enrollment and maybe how your child can get involved. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN AM. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We wanna make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses, I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Well, Paul, thanks so much for staying with us. Really appreciate you hanging around for segment number two this morning. Great, great to be here. 
Yeah. Um, okay. So, you know, we're talking about dual enrollment. It, it sounds like it's a, it's a great program. More people need to take advantage. I guess my first question is what more can we do uh, in terms of funding these types of programs? Because I guess to your point, if, if everybody, every child gets in, enrolled in a dual enrollment plan, program, that the money is not going to be enough. So, 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 and, and it would seem to me that this is a perfect segue into or, or bridging into higher education, whether it's a community college, whether it's some, some skills-based training or, um, you know, a traditional four-year school. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things to really start thinking about is, um, you know, what are some really good examples? So Arizona has taken this approach uh, to fund, especially uh, lower in lower income families uh, around dual enrollment and, and to give more access that way. Other states, though, for example, like Florida, Florida has a statewide policy. And so all students that are taking dual enrollment or AP courses, which are another form of, of kind of an accelerated college course in the high school, um, they're funded by the state. And so um, I think that there's some different avenues to look for. You know, ultimately, it'd be great if every state could fund these courses so that any student, regardless of zip code or race, ethnicity or financial background, could take these courses. But other places like Arizona, for example, just did this uh, where we focused on low-income students. Um, other states for example, might use, um, might have community foundations or other groups that are supporting local schools and districts. Um, so there are different ways that we can approach this, um, but really it's, it's really getting that message out around how important these courses are um, and getting that access to them. Yeah. When I was a kid, there was the AP courses that, that kind of were like, kind of helped you differentiate yourself to colleges. Of course, this was like over 30 years ago. Things have really changed. And now it's a very competitive environment. And so, again, if you're thinking about going to a community college or a four-year school, this could be, you know, you got to do the extra extracurriculars, learning to play violin and playing sports and all those kind of things, make yourself stand out. But having these credits, really, I would think gets you a leg up into setting the future for yourself as a, as a, as a student and also uh, for your children. It gets you a leg up. And I think the other important aspect is, a lot of these students that are taking dual enrollment courses now too are might be first generation students that have never gone to college, their families, their mom or dads, their or or siblings or grandparents. And they might question whether college is for them or if they can even do the coursework. This is a great way for those students not only to have a leg up, but also to understand really every student has that opportunity to go to college and can do this coursework. Does it are these courses a little bit more difficult and time intensive? Sure, but that really helps you get prepared so that when you go to college, um, you don't notice that transition from high school to college as much. Yeah, and and also when you get to the workforce, I mean, it's pretty intense as a as a yeah. thirty plus year veteran of, of being in the workforce, it can be very intense work. Uh, Paul, I want to ask you about funding, and we've seen a lot of expansion of five twenty nine plans. I'm wondering how they. If they could, I know that would be funded by the individual, but is that a way to, uh, you can defer a large amount of income. Right now you can use those 529 for four-year schools, two-year schools, even the trades. Is that a way, is that a, is that a methodology for parents, grandparents, and other, other uh, stakeholders, I guess, for lack of a better term, to possibly fund something like this? If, for example, the school district that, that, that you're in doesn't pick up the tab. I mean, I, I definitely think that is one route that can connect it. Um, and I think that's the the smart plan, Jeffrey, is having those multiple routes, which concerns me about the just the 529 is 
the families that are 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 just making it every week that they don't have the extra money to go into the 529. So I, I think the 529 in a in a um you know as an addition with the other options we're talking about are a great thing. Um, but we don't want to leave out students where they might have families where they don't have that. Yeah, and and also pointing out, I just want to point out they may also not have money to save for retirement as well, which is a whole nother issue for a whole nother show. La last question for you, Paul. If I'm a family member watching this today, I have children. When do I start thinking about getting my child enrolled in dual, dual enrollment? Do I start as soon as they become a freshman in high school? Is it a sophomore, junior? When when do I need to, th or, or eighth grade for that matter, when do I need to start thinking about getting my kid involved in dual enrollment and, and, and broaching that with a guidance counselor in my school? Yeah, great question. I think a lot of times what we see is that um, um, when, when a lot of our research a lot of these courses also sometimes can be tied with prerequisites. So if you get off track, especially in seventh and eighth grade in different math courses or English, it starts to limiting your opportunities. And so you really want to start be thinking about this when your kids are in middle school, because by the time they're in ninth grade, they're going to start having those options. And you don't want to run into any prerequisites or other things that are going to hold you back. So that's why really start thinking about it as early as seventh grade, eighth grade, Kind of be talking to the guidance counselors in those schools so that when your kids get to ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, they have all options open to them. Yeah, I said that was the last question, but I want to ask you one more. Just in general, are we doing enough um, as a country, as a society uh, to educate our children? Uh, and that's kind of a softball question, but I want to get your perspective on this. We talked about dual enrollment. We've talked about 529, but are we doing enough as a, a culture, as a society to get our kids set up, and we just came through a pandemic. So kind of a softball question to ask the question, to finish the interview, but just your perspective, what more can we do to uh, get our kids ready for what is gonna be a very competitive work global marketplace? Yeah, we have a, a fantastic educational system. Are there inequalities? Yes, but we have more opportunities than most countries around the world. And so really what we still have to make sure that we're doing is, is that, um, inadvertently or advertently, we, we have to make sure that when, when kids are going through school, you know, we kind of really focus on, at my organization on three main things. Number one, that they can read by the end of third grade. So we should be making sure that everything we do is making sure kids can read by third grade, because if you fall off track there, it's harder to get back on. Um, and that's really the time when you switch from learning to read to reading to learn. The second thing is, is that everybody should have that opportunity. Um, we still have places where, you know, not everybody has that opportunity to go to college. So whether a student wants to go to college or not, in every high school, we should make it so that students are having access to a curriculum that by the time when they graduate, they can decide if they want to go to college. They can decide if they want to go to the military. They can decide if they want to do a trade. And finally, we just really make need to make sure that schools have the resources um, there too. Rate system, we have to make sure it all comes together, close a lot of these opportunity gaps that we're seeing for students. Um, and it's just going to make us stronger and more profitable. Yeah, great, great system. And, and even great systems need refinement. Paul, we're going to have to leave it there. Great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us. And we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. Anytime. Thanks, Jeffrey. And that wraps up this episode of BRN AM. Have a topic of interest, somebody you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more and all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, visit our website. We're backing in tomorrow for another edition of BRN Weekly. We'll be joined by the great financial journalist, Jane King, and we'll be taking a look back 
some of our best segments for the week. You're not going to want to miss it. Until then, I'm Joe Snyder. Stay safe. Keep on saving. Don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device.